Welcome. You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Nordics, a podcast constructed to enrich our tech community by connecting some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I am Christopher Asbridge, and I help connect businesses with talented freelancers, and I will be your host. Well, welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by David, who's head of tech at Welby, a brand of Collector Bank, and Martin, who's a highly experienced um, VP of engineering um, within the fintech industry. And lastly, um, we've got Frederick, who's the CEO of Kidbook. And today we're here to talk about the future of fintech. Very exciting. I am extremely excited to find out what you boys have to say um, about the industry and what's coming up. But first of all, before we start getting down to the nitty gritty, um, Introduce yourselves. Martin, can you go first for us, please? Yeah, sure. Hi. Uh, it's nice to be with you guys uh, here uh, during this podcast. Uh, my name is Martin Zhukovsky. So I've been working with technology since 2010 and pretty much spent the last 10 years uh, building like pretty famous fintech in, in, in Stockholm, uh, like focus on consumer consumer finance. Like personally, I'm really into uh, the, the trading and the finance and the whole idea with the finance in my case started when I, uh, during my traveling, when I pay with a European card and when I look at the invoice and it turns out like there was a 5% margin on the Forex exchange and then I started checking like why is that like why do I need to pay 5 5% on the FX exchange and that's how I got into the, the whole area. Yeah, so that's me. So David, uh, I work at a company called Wally. Uh, it's a part of the Collector Bank. So I've been working uh, with technology since, uh, well, it's 20 years back, I think. Uh, and uh, I switched uh, domains for like five and a half, six years ago. Uh, before that, I was into civil security business. Uh, and now I'm working at the fintech uh, company. So, um, well, Collector, it's a publicly listed bank and Wall is a, is a brand of that bank. Uh, so we do payment solutions for e-commerce and in-store and both B2C and B2B businesses. So basically it's a buy now, pay later setup, uh, but we're more like solutions uh, that go into, it, into this. So yeah, that's uh, that's me. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, my name is Fredrik. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Kidbrook. My background is very much a technology uh, background. Uh, got brought into sort of banking finance originally starting of the 2002, just after the IT crash weren't really that many pure tech jobs around at the moment. <laughs> so, but uh, as time progressed, I thought it was a great uh, industry to be in to combine sort of business and technology. Um, and since 2011, been running Kidbrook. Uh, we specialize in um, analytics solutions for uh, wealth uh, related, uh, the wealth space, so wealth technology, trying to help end customers making uh, better decisions basically by empowering our customers to, to provide um, more and better stuff in their channels um yeah now that we've established a context of each of you let's move on to the topic at focus and um, you all have a question or statements and um, with regards to the future of fintech and um, as usual i'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it each of you have the opportunity to give your feelings and thoughts over this phrase and we'll just jump in um, straight away and talk about it as it goes on now, Martian, you came to me talking about Web3. Um, let's let's talk about it then. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, so I think that <clears throat> so I I've been like following the the whole, the whole Web3 development recently, last couple of uh, months. And I think it, it's really interesting the 
Uh, and I was wondering, like, how do the existing fintechs, like the companies who started, like, being developed, like five or eight or ten years ago, like, like Frederick, for example, how do they find themselves in the in this area when the, you know, the whole Web3 and the decentralized technology just basically like exploded in, uh, like, just recently. <clears throat> So, like, I, what I've noticed, like, the, the, the patterns that I've noticed is that there's a lot of money to be made, and even the, like, very traditional uh, companies, uh, uh, like, I think we lost, yeah, like, uh, Fidelity, like, Interactive Brokers, like, even, like, last week, Citadel Securities, like, so very old-fashioned companies, they're looking into, they're venturing into the, the, the crypto area, like, like, even, like, in, there was a Q2 or Q3 report for 2021 of Robinhood, when they said that their 60% of their revenue for the quarter came from uh, trading the Dogecoin, uh, the Dogecoin, uh, you know, it was the, at the time when the Musk was tweeting about it. So, so, and then I thought, like, okay, how, then I, the thesis that, that, that I tried to formulate is that how do the uh, the current fintechs, uh, can they adapt to that? Or, like, is the technology that we have been building the companies for last or five, ten years, like, is it good enough? Because uh, if you look at the, uh, the players in the fintech, it's, okay, so, uh, like, you have companies who have been in the business for last 50, 60 years, uh, starting in 60s and 70s, and then, like, there was, uh, the, we have this, uh, the new players who've been, you know, uh, basically when the cloud computing show up, turns out we can do the same type of business, whether this is like payment processing or wealth management or like lending, consumer lending or FX exchange at much cheaper rates. So the, the rates went down, but it's still like pretty much a centralized platform. It's a proprietary platform owned by that fintech or another fintech. And like, <clears throat> and what, have been, what we have been looking at is that uh, the the data in the latest wave of web all the web free startups basically became decentralized is that the companies they don't know the data the data sits on the blockchain and like of course like we still have platforms when uh, when the company the, the users they cooperate the they work with the data through the using the uh, through the platforms right uh, but if I don't like the platform I can switch to another one all my transaction logs uh, I can start another company or can beat you know the, the fr another fr front uh layer on top of that uh yeah so pretty much that's it and and then the and then the top then then i was start then i started thinking that i think that we need uh more working we should be working with uh, much closer to the regulation and with the compliance because the whole web free area is kind of like exists uh, totally like separate from the real real world uh, like so, we have these geeks and let's say web free cowboys who are uh, building the latest cool tech trendy out there, but it's still like it doesn't follow neither of the compliance or the rules or the KYC and AML and the frauds and the frauds and like there is just nothing. Like these people, they they don't really care about or like they feel like okay, we can just skip that part of building a you know, a product and yeah. Uh, at the same time, like people who have been building the fintechs for the last 10 years, they know that you can avoid it. Like you need to be accepted. If you want to be accepted and gain millions of customers uh, within the market, you need to follow the rules. Uh, so I think that's something that benefit uh, for that. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, should I start? Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, it's always... Uh, scary to talk about the future i think <laughs> especially since uh, i would probably in a 90 percent chance be wrong about the future but uh, uh, so i think that uh, we've spent a lot of time like moving to you know cloud uh, moving services to google amazon uh, aws uh, stuff like that for quite a while we put a lot of energy into it 
uh, and at the same time, this movement has been going on for 10 years, basically. Uh, so, uh, and as you say, regulations, policies, uh, they, they kind of, you know, how does that work in the, in the distributed environment instead of a centralized environment? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's it it depends. Uh, if you if you are to to distribute everything, I think you um, uh, it will be a like a huge technology step to do that for everyone. Uh, it will be harder to do it than it is to build systems today. And even today, it's re really hard to build systems. Uh, like you you need 50 developers just to build, build an app, basically. And uh, why is that? Uh, and if you distribute things, I think it will be even harder. So that's like, uh, in that sense, I, I think it will be, it will at least take some time before everyone adopts it. And I also think governments and banks, and they will try try to, to you know, stop things <laughs> maybe, or, put regulatory uh, compliance above it uh, somehow. Um, so that's uh, that's one way. But but if we have a movement, uh, uh, then it's like, uh, how do you do that? How do you control the, these things then? Uh, because uh, then it means that the majority will be using these services. I think we can um, expect that. I'm not sure if we're going to have, you know, all the Web3 technologies, like uh, the, all the Bitcoins and uh, all the other coins out there. But but sure, I think the contracts, like the, the smart contracts or the uh, self-serene identity stuff, that, that would be, I think that would be useful and that would be useful for, for companies like us. Um, so for example, I think it's uh, like, <clears throat> if, you're a, if you're an employee of a company and you're supposed to, to buy things, it's very hard for you to, prove actually that you are an employee of that company. Uh, well, you can see that you have an email address, may maybe that's corresponding to that domain, but uh, are you really uh, uh, you know, elig eligible to, to purchase on behalf of that company? And things like that, I think the blockchain could solve, but it also means that uh, a lot of companies need to attend those thing, uh, type of uh, services. Uh, so yeah, that's my... Uh, take on it. Frederick, what about you? Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, so uh, just trying to organize my thoughts here, There's a lot of stuff to untangle, but uh, I think just to quick comment on the technology thing, I think tech that has always been an, uh, a challenge, right? Even if you go back to before software, there was new technology coming around, companies getting so, you know, uncompetitive due to that, whatever, or have to keep innovating to, to, to stay in. So I think that's just the, the nature of, of um, running a company, really, uh, and even more so in the software world, right? Because uh, the cycles are faster. Uh, and then in terms of the whole decentralization movement, I think at least initially we've seen a lot of failures uh, if you look at it from the sort of philosophical thought about democratization, right? Because what happened with the, the initial one, the blockchain, where you have uh, heavy compute resources and issues with transaction volumes and stuff, you got these uh, verification centers, almost like people amassing compute capacity uh, where electricity were cheap. And then it's not really decentralized anymore. So, you know, and why is it better to have five big blockchain centers than five big uh, custodian banks globally, whatever? Um, so, but of course, technology evolves, right? And, and um, but, but the other aspect around it, I think, is if something goes wrong today, your credit card is stolen or, or even, you know, money is gone from your bank account, 
there is someone to reach out to and you can sort of process that through the court system and get be right right and you get compensated uh, we see in a lot of these fraud situations now that you know ah but the, the chain says that, you know mm. we can't change the chain so if you got defrauded since it's still possible to, to do fraud right so that i think is also a thing where that has to be resolved to go uh, beyond the sort of early adoption state, because I think we're still in, in some sort of early adopters uh, type of phase here around all these things. And that sort of brings it to the next uh, sort of subtopic here, I think, which is interesting uh, in that there are two things I think that is also hurdle for it to become more mainstream. One, and one is actual like liquidity and volumes, right? So if you want to trade big volumes of, of uh, coins or whatever, or NFTs today, liquidity is not great. So even if it looks like it has a big value, when you actually want to realize that value and convert it into more fungible uh, currencies, uh, it's not there, right? Because you just go through the order book all the way down. Um, so, and I think in for that to happen, there has to be a closer connection between uh, the, these things and then everyday economic activity, right? Because that's what sort of creates more underlying value, which then can rep be represented by more more uh, assets in a sense. Uh, and in that thing, I think the way I look at it, having thought about it a bit, it, is it's less of a completely new paradigm shift and more about it being a new medium, right? So people are buying sneakers today in the or, or did or whatever my generation in the fiscal world because that gave you some social capital, or whatever. You can sort of uh, be cool in front of your friends. That thing is now moving. My kids are, you know, they're not actually allowed to buy stuff in these worlds, but they tell me and they nag, why can't I buy the cool sort of sneakers in Roblox, right? So I think that stuff is moving into the digital world and you create synthetic uh, constraints on supply so you can actually have value. Uh, but uh, you still have to connect it back to 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 the rest of the world or whatever, you know, the, the economic activity to, to for it to have meaningful volumes of assets, uh, I think. Uh, so so I, to summarize, I think more of it as a new medium. So and people say, will Web2 die whatever? And I think, I mean, radio is still around and radio may eventually die. And I think it's a generational thing now where sort of the linear TV is slowly dying and may sort of fall off a cliff. But yeah, it'll take a long time to that sort of to play out uh, and there won't be any sort of you know, you have to have a Web3 presence in six months because no one's going to look at your Web2 website. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, it's been around for around for about 10 years, uh, well, yep. at least. And uh, so so it's starting to get a movement, but but it, it basically feels like either it's tech geeks right now, uh, like crypto geeks uh, look into it, uh, or it's... Uh, people looking for money <laughs> basically yeah, uh, and i think actually it might take on i'm not necessarily think it'll be like the zuckerberg ugly looking 3d world right because uh but i mean look at us now right we're in this virtual world of i mean some of us have this virtual backgrounds you know it's almost like a virtual world we're in, in now right in a sense and the kid spends probably more time in roblox or whatever minecraft than on tv uh, so I think it might, as often happens, right? There will be this movement, but it'll just take different forms. Yeah. Uh, because I also think if you look at the VR thing, which has been around for a while as well, right? And been hyped in, in various cycles. The, it's, it's very tough to, I think, I think a big hurdle all the time is just fighting 
convenience, right? So even if you know you give the kids the Oculus thing for Christmas, they play around with it for a week. But like this big thing, how cool yep. it is, it's still just better yep. to use your own eyes to watch the iPad. It's yep. just a more convenient experience. So I think that thing is the big hurdle for, for even some of these sort of grown up uh, visions about the, the 3D world. Like it has to be so convenient that it's like easier than just walk down to the cafe and, and have a chat with your friend, right? Which is like I have one more angle at it. What if it's just yep. a matter of time? Like I've read the study that within like next five to ten years, uh, because you, you you mentioned the generational shift. So yep. within five to ten years, uh, the generation who was born with a phone uh, with their hand, so basically like me and Gen Z, I'm the millennium, millennials and Generation Z, uh, like we uh, like yeah, I will be a part of people who get more than who get we get more votes in elections. So basically, we will choose. Yep. Uh, you know, more than 50% of people of the public officials who represent us. So we will choose the government, like, you know, people, those people are going to choose the government and uh, uh, create the policies. And then, like, if, you know, if there is a central bank somewhere saying that we don't like all these, you know, crypto things and uh, central bank, let's just do that. We're just going to pick, we're just going to elect the different set of people who, who will be more aligned, basically, who have been born with their phones, with their hands, like, like I have been. Uh, yep. So basically, we just need to wait five. I, mean, I was saying is that what if we just we wait five to ten years and it's going to happen on its own? We just need to be ready with all these uh, compliance and regulatory things to make sure that the society doesn't break. Yeah, because I think that's all. That's the regulatory thing. I think currently, as you you're on to right, the current uh, the people in charge now they would really hate not to have control over the national currency because that's uh, you know there's a lot of unknown unknowns. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if that so uh, yeah, yeah, I think so too. And um, about the, that generation shift, I, I think so. I, I think you're right because uh, I mean, I look at my kids, and I, I spoke to a friend uh, the other day, and and he was like, "Yeah, my my son, his his uh, his wardrobe, his virtual wardrobe is is bigger than his physical wardrobe. Yeah, so he's more he's more t-shirts in in Roblox and skins in uh, Fortnite than he has in his own." Uh, <laughs> Real world. Yeah, so. and I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure that um, we already see that, right? So uh, that this becomes important for people, uh, and I think that's perfectly natural, right? In the same way that you know our grandparents did not buy sneakers, or at some point in time, people were not buying even paintings, right? Because the concept. I mean, if you go way, way back, <laughs> that's also like you know, um, or when you could sort of print today. I mean, when you were able to start to mass produce art in terms of uh, printed stuff, right? Again. Um, so yeah, I think those the the need to to own things, you know, which somehow elevates your status or, or makes you happier or whatever it does for you, I think will always be there. So it just takes different expressions. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. So, um, but have have you any um, like thoughts on uh, you know for fintech companies or uh, things like? Uh, contracts and stuff like that that's distributed blockchain do you think that would be a, a driver for the like blockchain I'm, technology like nothing specific i just felt like when i saw the like mark zuckerberg presentation about the meta thing i thought like there's going to be millions of people hooked up onto this and they will be spending so much money like buying like you know artificial suits and memes and like putting yep in their virtual there's actually and recently like uh, peter molyneux the creator of uh, civilization has announced a new nft game and he started selling uh, land in that game and people are buying land in a game that is not even out 
And then yeah. I thought, then I thought like all the fintechs who are like part of the payments, uh, they handle payments, uh, whatever is it's payments or savings or wealth or like uh, loans. If you're not into that, you're gonna miss a lot of things. You're gonna miss a lot of the business. If you're if you're not gonna like somebody wants to buy a cool meta thingy and then if maybe they don't have money, they want to take a loan. If you are in lending business, if you're not providing those loans for this new type of generational Gen Z customers, like okay, you're missing a lot. You're gonna be missing a lot. Yeah, no, no, and I think definitely payments is is uh, obvious, right? Because people yeah. need to transact in these things, right? And then what kind of currency they use, you know, will just evolve. And the payment solutions have to support that, and any fungibility to other currencies, which you can use uh, wherever else you need, right? So, and then in terms of the wealth bit, I think uh, people will, of course, in the same way that you know when people started investing into infrastructure or whatever new types of investments, you need to be able to manage that wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, if 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 people are putting uh, crypto in their pension portfolios, the industry will have to support that. But however, I think before that can be a really big thing, we're back to that where you need to create a relevant asset volume, right? Because today, if you look at the the global pension assets, it's so vast. So before there will be digital Nike sneakers to sort of, (laughs) you know, be able to to assume that volume, there needs to be tighter integration with the rest of the economy, I think. Uh, I mean, and, and it will happen probably, right? Because if you look at, say, other intangible things like, computer games, movies, and whatever, there are big value tied to those industries and there is investable assets. You can buy movie rights and people trade the music catalogs, et cetera, right? So of course people will trade catalogs of, of NFTs in the future and having different cash flow patterns being generated by those uh, because they provide value uh, in whatever medium they are represented. Mm. Like I have a question to you, Frederick, about the yep. uh, about the uh, wealth when parcel and the investable assets. Because like the, the whole crypto started that people started to say that I don't believe in fiat currencies anymore, so I'm going to put my wealth into the yep. crypto yep. because that's just going to go up. And what I've seen recently is that uh, the crypto has started to follow the. Uh, the patterns of equities, uh, so like it follows the same trading patterns. Like so, if yeah, stocks, yeah, yeah. if stocks are going down, so if the real life companies are going down, then the crypto is also yeah. going. Down. Uh, what do you think are the reasons? What do you think is the so, reason? So I think it once it gets slightly bigger than being tiny, right? Then you have all these effects that you see everywhere else. Like uh, if people. If, if 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 your part of your wealth decrease, you get sort of worried about other parts and you maybe start selling off and then you start selling off other risky assets because as soon as you have a risky asset, it's it's subject to change, right? And you could probably, I mean, many of the crypto ones are also vastly more volatile than the other stuff you have. So maybe, you know, people are even starting to sort of selling those the first because they're afraid they will take massive hits. So I think that goes with the territory. Once things start to be mainstream and also measured like on a daily or minute basis or whatever, like people observing prices and value, then you'll have that. It's very similar with, if you think about say private equity, right? So the entire industry has been sort of pushing this message that it's less volatile than the markets and yada yada. But in, 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 in a lot of cases, it's like artificial stability because you only observe, you only revalue your, your portfolio every quarter or in the terms of commercial property every six months, whatever, of course it gets less volatile if you observe the value all the time. The, the sort of problem with listed equity and stuff is you can observe the price every second, right, or, or even more. And I think the same goes with the currencies and these uh, coins and stuff because they 
they're digital, so, so they have uh, exchanges and stuff. So I think it's just a natural development, really. Um, Okay, so like yeah, if it if it so if it gets accepted by the governments, like the so then it means that it becomes less risky and the volatility will disappear. Uh yeah, so that can happen, of course. So you take away a lot of the more regulatory or like political risks, but then fundamentally it'll sort of you know long term just even out to the general equity market risk, or whatever you know. Mm -hmm. it was. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, or, or like uh, a, a GDP weighted currency basket or whatever you want to sort of benchmark it to, right? So once you take away the, the, these other uh, political and uh, regulatory risks. I mean, a, a currency in a country, it's no more than the claim on all that uh, GDP of the country, right? Ultimately, if this mm. political system doesn't break down. Um, so um, here, and I think initially there were no real it was completely baseless in that sense, right? There was no real, nothing backing it. But I think once you start having these tokens and stuff, which are then priced or, or quoted in these currencies, you start like creating, and, and some of these things have actual, actual value as we were discussing, right? There is a gen, genuine demand for digital wardrobes and, and clothes and stuff and, and skins. So yeah. then suddenly it becomes, you know, evolves into something more like, there is actually something backing it in a sense, even though maybe that wasn't the, the thought initially. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same, Marzin. Uh, I, I think that metaverse will also drive that a lot. Of course, uh, it, it will be a huge movement and uh, a lot. Yeah, no, of no. I mean, in the same way that like TV was a big thing, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> or, exactly. Uh, fast fashion or whatever, yeah. um, for sure. And also, you mentioned also credit, which I think is very interesting because I think you already see signs that people with bigger holdings of these cryptos, they're trying to mortgage them in a sense, right? Maybe also to, to as a workaround for the liquidity problem. And that's obviously very nice for, for those people, but the counterpart, the banks or whatever providing the credit, then obviously have to be able to hedge that. And again, if there's not enough liquidity, those things aren't really possible. So the sort of uh, innovation rate on the types of contracts you would be able to create on top of these things, including loans and stuff, which are backed by them, will also be limited by the liquidity ultimately, because um, you know, no sane. I mean, you at Collector would know this, right? No sane yeah. bank would <laughs> would allow you to take out a, a Bitcoin denominated mortgage uh, unless there is liquidity and you know, that can be risk can be traded in on the back end. Yeah. But so have you have you thought about like uh, credit decisions because uh, those are pretty pretty much if you say Web two today so they are centralized uh, very it's a credit institution giving out uh, they gather data about persons and they do decisions and then different banks or companies have models on, on top of these but basically it's just a, a central decision uh, how do you think that would work in in Web three? Uh, decentralizing those decisions. No, I haven't given it a thought. Maybe like a like a, I don't know, consensus of credibility of your past two interactions. Like I have transacted. Maybe like I'm just like thinking out loud right now. But let's say I have transacted for all my life uh, with that many people, and uh, I don't know. And then like you, a bank, a lender goes out to credit and ask, how much are you worthy? Like. Is, that, is this a trustworthy person? And then they reach out and some kind of like a vote on polling system based on all the transactions that I have done in my life. Probably like except that like the, the obvious drawback would be is that like it's kind of like to get start 
with yeah. like if there is no previous uh, transaction but more than that i was I, I actually i'm more more than like the credit decision i'm more annoyed by the it issues uh, like during yeah, for last like uh, i've been using european credit cards or over the world recently and uh, like basically i just i just needed to prove my identity every now and then whenever you start and buy stuff and then you get a call from the web 1.0 bank like ask <coughs> you like are you are are you sure you made this transaction i brought them like yeah 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 i'm sure uh, like so identity like uh, like annoys me a lot uh, and proving that you are who you are and you made what you did what you know <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, so I think the identity aspect is, is very interesting because a lot of these services, even Web2 services, rely on a, on a good digital ID, right? And I think living in the Nordic countries and, and uh, the Baltics and stuff, you're spoiled, right? Because there's been for a long time a very stable, well-spread, cheap uh, digital ID services, uh, which have then enabled a lot of other innovation in terms of not having to go anywhere and prove your identity. You can just sign up for things. I mean, these days, if someone would propose even signing a contract physically you're like what's wrong with you uh, yeah. you can't this I mean <laughs> next <laughs> um, and then uh, the thing about data portability I think is also maybe one of the next 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 big uh, shifts actually because it's already started with the open banking and now I saw the insurer guys in Sweden are rolling out solution for more open insurance where you can actually get the data sent back and forth and I think Ultimately, what should be very valuable is that instead of the bank collecting and sort of owning the data or, or the credit agency, whatever, you would have the data and you would then let people look at the data uh, yeah. when and if it's relevant for you. Um, it might take time, but I think that's an ultimate uh, nice uh, endpoint if that, if that could materialize. And again, yeah. back to the, because you were, I think, on to a bit here uh, in terms of the, the credit giving and then the should it be centralized or more of a peer-to-peer -peer aspect. I think the reason there's one big problem with peer-to-peer -peer is that there is more uh, demand to um, uh, ha take out credit than to give credit. So almost all of the peer-to-peer -peer startups, after a while, they have to tap into capital markets to have enough capital to, to lend, right? So that's a, a fundamental problem. The other problem, which I think is more subtle, is that uh, a very cool thing which banks do is that they provide credit expansion, right? Because you pool the resources. So you don't need your money at every given point. So you can put the money in the bank, you know it's there and it's there whenever you want it, but you don't need it all the time. You need it when you transact. Yeah. Um, by having the uh, a modern regulatory regime where you have a capital requirement, so you can, if you put 100 into the bank, the bank can then lend 98 of those to the next person, and they will put it in another bank and they can lend like 96, or whatever, all the way down to zero. That actually enables banks to expand credit, right? Which drives a lot of growth when it's not get overheated, like in the, uh, the credit, uh, uh, sorry, the, the real estate crash or whatever. But it, it's very beneficial for the, development of, of economic activity, I think, because it sort of greases the wheels, right, by providing capital. And that's easy to forget when you look at maybe the, you know, or promote some specific tech thing, because if you take out those things, it's just fundamentally beneficial to pool things, right? It, that's why I think also developments where insurance become, premiums become too personalized is really bad because there is no insurance anymore. You'll pay exactly what you 
you, you cause, right? And then the point is gone. <laughs> so yeah. There's no value in insurance anymore. Well, it's true. It's true. Like you, you mentioned, like one, one more thing about the, the the open banking. Like I, I was thinking, like is it really the, the way forward? Like because, like to me, like open banking is like it took forever to implement. Uh, like I've tried to use it. Yeah, no, I don't necessarily think the current implementation of it is great, right? But I think just yeah. uh, the thing, if if that could be facilitated, maybe technically also in, in a better way, that would be beneficial. I, I fully agree that many yeah. of the current implementations is just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, the root cause of that is that the tech on the technological side, basically, like we're trying to glue and uh, duct tape the old systems. You know, like yeah. the, whether this is monolithic or microservice, it doesn't matter. So at the root, at the foundation, at the at the foundation of that, we have like the technology which is which was not meant to be shared with each other. So, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Right. And then we're trying using the regulatory pushes, saying you need to be you need to be you know you need to do open banking, and so the banks yeah. did. It kind of like it doesn't work at all, and uh, yeah. And at the same time, we have this uh, decentralized finance, Web 3.0, so which, at, 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 on the other hand, at the ground, at the, at the at the ground basis of it, like it works, you know, in a decentralized way. Like it's open, like you can anybody can check who transacted with who, yeah. but it's just like the other way is missing. So the regulatory compliance is missing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so if we are able to match those two things, like we, no, we can advance a lot and. Exactly. So that's the key. I think in many, many aspects, you, you can't become dogmatic either way. You have to look at the pros yes. and cons of different things and then try to, to merge uh, and, and, and come out with the best overall solution. Yeah, yeah, that will probably be uh, the future, don't you think? It, it won't be either Web 2 or Web 3. It will be a, a merge, uh, like a slow, slow transition and we won't have everything we have thought of today like in web3 in five years in ten years but we have no, some things uh, i think so too uh, but uh, you talked about a little bit about open banking but uh, so another question i have is uh, about that the, the p27 uh, so the um, the big banks in uh, sweden finland denmark and also maybe norway uh, go together and create an exchangeable format the protocols to talk to each other to be able to basically sending you know funds between countries cross-border uh, and it should be as easy as sending a text message a message as, as they say on their website yeah. so what what do you think uh, i mean that's kind of the same idea basically as open banking not really but it's like opening protocols between countries and implementing those in different ways what do you think that would bring to the to the industry and the society of course as well uh, so i think it's it's uh, obviously those the current systems in place for that kind of backbone is, is very old right it's very old and it's it's very not designed to support i mean that's why even if you send banks nationally uh, money between banks nationally it could take a day to process right depending on when you send it and that's yep. also why you have all these companies and services which keep balances in different banks and they will sort of you know enable you to instantly move money but they already have funds yep. in both banks so they just change their ledger um so that will uh, be a massive uh, benefit, I guess, just technologically. And, and I think there are more, you, you spoke about the uh, the cost of doing FX before, right, being ridiculously high, etc. There are other charges like that still in the system, which will also go away. So, and, and hopefully it can be easier than to have a multinational 
company structure and do business, you know, quicker across borders and stuff. Um, but uh, the other trend, so that's a good development, I think, but unfortunately there seems to be other trends in Europe and stuff where it tries to make all the cross-border stuff uh, harder, like yeah. Britain exiting EU or whatever. Because when I used to work and live in the UK, I just went there, you know, barely had to sign a paper. It's actually more admin coming back to Sweden uh, with the Swedish tax authorities um, wanting to know why you were moving back and stuff. Uh, so that was amazing, right? So hopefully this type of infrastructure can also spread outside of Northern Europe and, and become more of a, a standard. Uh, I think it will be, yeah, faster transaction, just saves money in a lot of uh, different parts of the, the value chain. Yeah, so like my take on it is like, I mean, obviously it's good to like for people living in the Nordics for those 27 million people living out there. Uh, but then like I, I'm from Poland, so like I would, I'm out of this, right? And, like, <laughs> and, like this is the problem with this initiatives. Yeah, I mean, like this is the issue with the initiatives. Like they're very local. Uh, there is also another one. I don't, I don't, I remember the name of it, but it's in Asia. So like the, 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 the Singapore and the Australia and the New Zealand and the, they're trying in the Asian, the Asian markets, in the Hong Kong, they try to connect to do the forex exchange locally yep. uh, using sort of blockchain and to, to settle immediately trades and don't do the, uh, I guess, the swift payment in between the central banks. Uh, so there we have that. And then recently I've learned that because uh, there is, uh, we have this instant SEPA, single euro payment area, I was wiring some yep. money. And then I've learned that it's not only one instant SEPA, there are two, because there is a German and there is Italian already. So it's just like a new service and my bank mm -hmm. only supports the German type and not the Italian. So like if, <laughs> if the recipient bank has only that one, like I'm, it's still going to take two days. Uh, like, I don't know, like, I mean, it's great that, that the initiatives are like that, but it's still like the vision is not broad enough. It's just like it's a small local thing. Like it solves one problem at a time. It's great for next five, six years and then it uh, comes yeah. to 2035 and then we still have the same problem. And the, the thing is, is at, at the, at, that's what I said before, that at the core of those systems, like we're not using the right technology to solve those problems. We're using like legacy, which we, you know, which we polish on the top of it, and then we add layer over layer over layer, and then we spend, in this case, I guess, four years, which is, you know, okay, uh, yeah. I just like, I just, I look at the numbers. So, like, so the 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 the, the, the P27 spent four years on developing systems, who is going live this year to connect 27 million people, and at the same time, 60 million people joined Bitcoin network, and it works right away. And so, what if we put the efforts elsewhere? <laughs> like you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. good point uh another thing i think which is interesting con with regards to payments in general or like moving money around right i think is also any ability to enrich the metadata around that so even if you look at the open banking stuff and these uh, services aggregating data it's still the case you know if you look at this buying coffee at your local cafe the metadata around that transaction, I'm the same person using the same banking card in the same, uh, you know, uh, cafe. You can still have slight differences in the metadata around it, right? Because um, you also have dependencies to the whatever system they use in the cashier system and whatever. So, and this also limits things like, uh, you know, having truly electronic uh, bookkeeping and things or, or looking not only from the account perspective seeing the total amount but be able to look through into the receipt data and stuff right so anything 
that can ultimately lead to more uh, flexibility in those uh, areas, I think, can also generate a lot of innovation higher up in the in the use cases. Uh, because suddenly it becomes, uh, I mean, really this thing that's typical in, in Sweden today, when you invoice somebody, you still send a PDF, and that's called like an, an electronic invoice. <laughs> yep. Like, why go to PDF when you can have a structured protocol? <laughs> then exactly. You don't even have to, you know, yep. it can be automatically booked in your accounting system because the metadata will be there. There's no one having to look at it. I think there is a big area as well. Uh, hopefully there can be benefit over time from these types of developments. Yeah, but that's really true. And uh, that's that's something we're looking into, of course. Uh, I mean, why should you do, you design your system around like what was formerly just a piece of paper? Uh, exactly, exactly. It makes no sense, right? It's, and then yeah. you have some ML uh, image recognition thingy to parse the amounts and try to yeah. figure out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so all technology meets today. And, uh, <laughs> In terms yeah. of using the wrong approach, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's true. I, I just I just one final question like from my side guys and yep. uh, like we spoke about the meta and the uh, facebook and and, this, and the new uh, Zuc uh, the zucker representation of it uh, like what we're talking about the future so like do you think like this this is the future that we're going to put the vr glasses on and we're going to hang out with each other and instead of meeting in real life because uh, how do you see it when i saw it i was like i might i had two two thoughts first one is like of course it's going to happen and then I was like, I was really sad that it's going to happen because <laughs> it was like, I mean, really, really, I mean, the world is a beautiful place. And like, it's really sad just to put that goggles on and disappear in VR and I don't know. So I had like very. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's, it's way, it's, it's a two, I think they, they're approaching it all wrong, right? So as I said, I think it's already happening. It's like the, if you look at my kids, they, they play with their friends in these virtual worlds or, or any game, right? And they run two devices, the thing they're gaming on and they have a mobile phone for voice typically, like that's just how they do it. And they already, you know, so they do that and it's like more convenient for them to do it remote, but they also go and run the sledge, you know, if it's winter through the, the downhill on the schoolyard or they go out and play. So I think it, or at least I hope that you use whatever uh, you know medium that's relevant for whatever you're doing, uh, and it might be. So, so I think that whole thing where you know, as you say, like confining yourself to that, it's uh, you know, it's not good enough. It's meeting people in person is still attractive, I think. Um, but I, I definitely, and I think that goes with every generation, right? That the next generation is using technology in more ways and more innovative ways than the older generation and the older generation always thinks that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, our parents those guys. Were, were appalled <laughs> on how much we, we were glued to the TVs, right? So, um, yeah, but I have yeah. very, very hard time uh, thinking the Zuckerberg thing, it will be, I was actually appalled by the, by the quality as well. It's not even, didn't even look particularly good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I mean, uh, I think so too. I think there will be like a almost like a a counter reaction to that as well. Like if everything is digital, you will have to spend physical time. You want to spend more physical time with your friends and relatives. And uh, so, uh, and I think like during the pandem pandemic, we all felt it like we, we do everything digital and we want to meet at the office and speak by the coffee machine and stuff like that. It's, it's so nice. It gives our lives a bit richness. Uh, yeah. And I also think you're right. I mean, the kids they will grow up; they're already doing this, and they will. It, it's natural for them. 
Yeah. Uh, and doing transactions virtually will be natural in the future as well, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right. But there's still hope. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, uh, that's a good yeah. conclusion. <laughs> and we'll leave it there. This has been an Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to make, take this opportunity to thank both um, all three, um, David, Martin, and Frederick, uh, providing the insights into the topic. And thank you for all for listening. Um, if you'd like to get involved on our podcast, feel free to reach out to me um, on LinkedIn. Um, thank you very much. <laughs>